and welcome to the 90 Day Fiance Honestly podcast. I'm B, and with me is Amy. Hello. And together we discuss the 90 Day Fiance shows, dissecting all the drama so you don't have to. Stay tuned until the end of this episode when Amy's going to spill the latest tea that she's discovered about her favorite show. I can't wait to find out what it is this week. So today we're looking at episode 15 of season six of Before the 90 Days. It seems like this might be the penultimate episode of the season, with most of the relationships concluding in one way or another. So this week's episode was something else. Oh my gosh, there was so much juicy stuff going on, and it's going to take a while to get through. So let's jump right in with our first couple, Razvan and Amanda. This week they start off at the beach where Razvan has arranged for a day with his family and Amanda. And this place looks gorgeous, don't you think? Oh, it looked incredible. Such a great idea. I love this for them to do to do this particular outing. So Amanda, we see, is up to her usual tricks. She's sucking on Razvan's face. And he's very clearly enjoying the attention and describes what was a very active night with Amanda. Good for them. <laughs> He seems like he's still holding back a little bit, but is otherwise kind of satisfied for now with how things are going between them. I think that's about fair. I believe so, yes. And then uh, they order food and drinks, and Amanda orders French fries. Wah, wah. Why does she of have she a does. little kid palate? I'm annoyed that she can't eat ve- the vegetables that came on her pizza. Did you see her picking them off? I did. That was very irritating. And then she was like eating it almost piecemeal, like ripping it up and putting it in her mouth, like little tiny pieces. Like he's a baby. Very irritating. Yeah. And where's your napkin? Honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, in talking to Brasman's family, Amanda talks about how she's so happy that her kids and Razvan get along and I just went uh what because this, is... this is the, yeah this is after she's you know he said he was going to get the visa to come visit the U.S. and she's like oh I don't know if I want you to meet my kids and now she's pulling this like it's yeah just grosses it's me out a total contradiction of her attitude before because mm-hmm. she, before she was upset that Razvan was trying to get this visitor's visa and her kids don't know they're a couple and she was talking about how she wants them to have time to adjust them for them to adjust to having lost their dad duh of course you do but obviously like this complete opposite stance she does a 180 again and i just find this so um it's so confusing the about faces all the time like i don't know how rasman is keeping it together not mm-hmm. pointing it to her uh, just a second because two days ago you were saying this and now you're saying the opposite or three days ago you were acting this way and now you're acting the opposite what is up well he says that he is confused so he's picking up on it which is which says a lot for for the 90 day franchise but he does know that it's that it's going on and he when he talks to his mom he even mentions like that she doesn't about face and he's not entirely sure how to handle it so he asks her for uh advice and the fact that amanda is so worried about 
his conversation with his mother is extremely telling because she obviously just wants to create her own narrative of what's going on. She doesn't want Razvan to talk to his mom about the fights because obviously that's going to change her opinion of her. And Amanda just wants to control that and doesn't want it to happen so that she can stay in this light of being better than his ex-wife. So is, is she actually sabotaging the relationship or is this all just a game for her? I think the operative word there that you used is control because this is yeah. what I got from watching her be so worried about Razvan going off with his mom to talk. He doesn't want him mention their problems and I think the reason why is because she knows that his mom is going to see through her and Amanda is doing exactly the same thing it so it seems from what we've what we've gleaned from the show that Razvan's ex-wife did to him Mm -hmm. and can I just do a slight aside here and say when mom ties the cloth on Razvan's head he is stunning oh my gosh I don't know what it was about the way that that fabric sat on his head, but I completely and utterly agree. He's such a good looking man to begin with. And then for some reason that just, that really added something to his aesthetic. It just made his eyes and his eyebrows really pop. I found, Mm -hmm. and maybe it was just the contrast with the kind of the whiteness of the cloth, but I was like, you need to wear this all the time. Yes, please, or at least often enough so that we get to see it. Because yeah. I, I think if he wore it all the time, then the novelty would wear off. But at this point, it would just be nice to see occasionally. Mm-hmm. Well, when Rasman and his mom are talking, uh, Rasman tries to reason Amanda's behavior by saying, "Oh, I think that you know it's part of her grief because she's been through so much that she doesn't know which way is up, and she's very changeable." And mom acknowledges that that could be it. But she also says, or Amanda could be fickle. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a very nice way of putting it. Yeah, that was very tactful of her to say it that way. Extremely tactful. Um, So it doesn't show that she's believing Amanda or she's believing Rosalind. And she's not giving away anything about how she feels about the situation. Obviously, she's concerned because she sees the similarities between the two relationships that Razvan has had. And what mom wouldn't be worried for her son that he's going to get hurt again. But there's nothing she can really do. He's an adult. He's got to make his own choices. But I think that Amanda is definitely trying to control, like you said, the narrative, but also Razvan by being uh, so concerned that he should go off and not talk about the relationship with his mom. Or just anyone in general. She doesn't want anyone to know about it. That's true. You know, that makes me think of when they went to see Rasband's friends at the pool and there was that woman with the yellow bikini who point blank said to Amanda, I don't see love in your eyes. When you look at him, it looks like you want to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and Amanda was not appreciative of that commentary at all. Oh, of course not. You can't judge her. <laughs> then why are you going to show? I don't know. But the, this, um, 
so when we get to the pool hall in this episode, yeah. you can really see the complete change in her behavior from, you know, sucking on his face and basically love bombing him to being so accusatory and questioning, you know, his not so much his relationship with his mother, but just about him telling anyone anything about anything negative about them. Yeah. It you you can see that that turn, which absolutely it's spooky, it's scary. It, it I, ties into what I said in the last episode about the push and pull relationship that she has. Yeah. Because she was love bombing him. So she was pushing and now she's pulling away. And now she wants or and then she this was an about turn when she starts going into the whole engagement later on in the episode but then she's going back to the pole again she just the about face just happens so instantaneously with her i when i was watching this i was just thinking in my head this is snooker and snark because (laughs) was standing in the corner with her arms folded and just being so judgmental and condescending towards him about what did you talk to your mom about and that's not good you can't do that you know why is she trying to control Razvan and and what he's allowed to say outside the relationship so is it just her insecurity maybe I think so because she's only had relationships and she hasn't really had much more experience than that I, I think she's just trying to control him because this is what she wants. She wants to have domination over someone else. She wants yeah. to have that attention and um, that I don't even want to call it love because I think that he he does have deep feelings for her, but I think her feelings for him are completely shallow. Yes, absolutely. And she... Um obviously wants an apology from him and he doesn't give it which I think is great Mm -hmm. and and she blames him for wanting to cause a fight which was so funny because it was her who instigated this and who took up the stance of somebody who's starting to be very aggressive and snarky and you know setting up the conflict but she's aggressive was going to be the word I was going to use oh boy here she goes again here she goes again. So Making then, problems that aren't there. Oh my god. The next scene, two days is left on her calendar of visiting Razvan, and they're back at his apartment. And she drops the bomb that she says she'd like to be engaged before she returns to the U.S. Well, isn't that nice? We would all like things that we can't have. <laughs> so what is behind this particular move, this statement? Is it a status grab? Does she want to be engaged just so when she gets home, she can tell everyone that she got Razvan that fast? It's not because she's actually in love and has spent enough time with him, getting to know him, and she knows she's certain of her feelings and that he's the right choice for her and her kids. Definitely not. This They've never even met. No. Well, they've Razvan talked and the on, kids. They've talked on video. Um, I don't think that really equates to, you know, the necessary relationship that you need to establish in order to invite someone else into your into your family with your your two children who have recently lost their father like within the past year like get over yourself take care of your stuff yeah 
So in this moment when she's describing to him how she wants to be engaged, I just was like, this is immaturity and superficiality to, to their nth degree. There's no yeah, way it's, it's so gross. Why you would rationally say to somebody after only having been with them in person for, is it three weeks that she spent in Romania? Yes. I want to be engaged before I go home. No. And you admit, like you guys have been fighting most of the time. And she says, oh, we're in a better place now. Well, for a few minutes, maybe. <laughs> but Rasvan is shocked. And he says, why is this something that she wants when we're fighting? And he says, 70% of the time they're fighting. That's a lot. Especially over a three-week period. That's exhausting. Yeah. And he makes a statement where he says that he's not sure if he still wants to be with Amanda. And he says to her face. I I think that he has shown a great amount of emotional intelligence with his conversations with her and um, the little cutaways that they do, just the way that he calls her out on it and he says something to the effect of how he may have lost feelings for her a while back. Yeah. So for him to acknowledge that to her, knowing how explosive she could be, like that's him protecting himself. And I think that that speaks volumes about where he is with his emotional intelligence. It was very, very impressive to see. He seems very connected to his feelings and he mm-hmm. knows what he's feeling. He doesn't uh, deceive himself and cover it all up and pretend, oh, it's a happy moment. I'm fine. Everything's good. He acknowledges the reality and the depth of the, like the seriousness of this moment where she's mm-hmm. saying, I want to be engaged. And he's like, what are you talking about? I think he's starting to put everything together, especially after that conversation with his mom, which as a little aside, you can really tell how much he appreciates and loves his mother, which I think is phenomenal. The fact that he trusted her enough to open up about about their arguments and the fact that he actually listened to what she said, her concerns. And I think that that has impacted or at least supported um, his emotional response to Amanda at this point, which I think is quite incredible. He seems very, very receptive. That is a great point. His relationship with his mom. I hadn't even thought of that, 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 but they are so easy with each other. And that really speaks well of him as a, an emotionally mature person that he can open up to his mom, that he has that kind of closeness with her. And they're both very respectful to one another. There was no point at which he was getting upset that she was saying something honest and she was being very tactful. It was, yeah, it was really nice to see them together. Yeah. I I really appreciated that. The way that he opened up and he spoke about his feelings, you know, he did try to defend Amanda, but his mom saw through the whole thing. And the fact that Amanda knew that something was different when they returned, uh, she was obviously sussing out the situation to figure out where she was going to be able to put her claws in so she could gain back that control. So we see in the preview for next week, that's exactly what she's trying to do. We talk about love bombing. Mm-hmm. The apartment was filled with uh, 
balloons and flowers and teddy bears and I don't know what, but she's she seems to be trying to force Rasvan into the proposal um, by whatever means possible. So she's using her manipulation techniques very well. And then we see just a small snippet of them sitting down at this beautiful romantic spot where it looks like you might want to propose to somebody. But I think Amanda is in for a cruel surprise. I, I think so too. She, I'm pretty sure in the preview it showed her saying, I'm, I'm not quite sure how to, um, like how to prepare for what's coming. And I, I think she's going to be completely blindsided by this, which I might get quite a bit of enjoyment from when it happens. <laughs> Tempted to open a bottle of wine. <laughs> Just okay, to celebrate let's it. Let's move on to Gino and Jasmine. When we see Gino and Jasmine, he, oh, just Gino packing his things by himself at the apartment. And then Jasmine unexpectedly shows up. Oh, what a surprise. I wasn't expecting this for you. She wants to talk. And when I was watching this, I was thinking, is this the same pattern as Rasvan and Amanda for the push-pull, push-pull? Jasmine says, go away. Now she's saying, I want you back. Then Gino says, go away. Then he says, I want you back. It's the same thing, isn't it? Just this really negative, toxic, cyclical pattern over and over again. No? I think it's similar, but it's not the same. Because I genuinely believe that Jasmine either has I'm not a doctor I'm not diagnosing but she's exhibiting behaviors of either uh, complex post-traumatic stress disorder or borderline personality disorder so with the with her triggers and her blind rage the her emotional responses with her excessive amount of crying it it's indicative of, of both and it could be either or both, but the, the trauma causes would, would cause her to almost black out when, when she's triggered. And it, it made me feel bad for her because I think that it provided a lot of context. Like when she was explaining to Gino, you know, I'm such a broken person and she's in so much pain. I think it provides more context to her behavior. So in my opinion, she seems to be a lot more aware of her behavior, her attitude, her reactions, whereas Amanda is just a loose cannon. Mm -hmm. I think Amanda is all about control, whereas I think Jasmine is more about a, a, a trauma reaction or a mental health reaction. I don't think that Jasmine means to have these reactions whereas i think amanda's is completely calculated interesting okay um well I, when i was watching her do her mega apology to gino and trying to win him back i felt that she was being completely insincere the the expressions on her face were you watching her face it was I, I try really black. hard not to watch the show or watch the the screen when she's crying because I can't handle her face. It was such a bad acting or 
like she was trying to squeeze out the tears and she was contorting her face into this grimace of oh, pain and sadness and hurt and oh please 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 but it just it does not seem genuine at all I saw it the other way. No, I saw it as her being completely genuine, but she's just had too much Botox that she can't cry properly. I hadn't considered that, and that is a <laughs> I apologize, but that is the, that is the case. Uh, if your face can't accurately show your emotions, then I, I don't know what to say. That is something I'm experienced with, but just from what was on the screen, it felt like tears weren't real there weren't very many of them the contortions weren't real it just it didn't add up for me and then I started to think okay so maybe this is all producer driven maybe this is staged maybe the whole thing was staged they needed some good old Gino Jasmine razzmatazz and so they invented this whole fight in order to you know keep us interested I wonder if they just drop like little tidbits to see what would trigger her and mm -hmm. then really narrowed in when she was triggered, which made her have her explosive reactions. But I think that her showing up at the apartment and Gino being surprised, I think I, I think that was genuine too, because you don't see them break that the fourth wall very often. But when she came in, the cameramen and sound guys were all scrambling. Yeah. And you could see the the producers and everyone in the background and they were trying to sort themselves out. And if that was rehearsed, everything would have been in its place and ready for her to show up. So I think that that was actually um, completely unexpected for her to show up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's keep going on the assumption that this wasn't producer driven. This was an actual uh, Jasmine initiated action, right? Right. So she's talking about wanting to reconcile and she apologizes. She'll say, she says she's going to change and she says she's got so much to fix within herself, which is true. Um, but I have to say that when I, when she's making this statement about I'm going to change, I'm going to change. She and Gino never make any substantive changes. They may tweak something very tiny for a little bit, but then they go back to their old habits right away and they perpetuate the same toxicity that was there before. And it it's, makes me think of their time with the a therapist who said, you know, you can't fix, this, fix anything with just one visit. It has to be a process. And clearly they only went to the therapist once. But they have this, I think they have the both magical romantic thinking that they can just solve all their problems at will and with no effort. And this is gonna lead them down the wrong path. Unless there's some kind of miracle, I don't know. I, I feel like both of them know that there's gonna be a lot of work that needs to be put into this relationship. But I, I don't think that either one of them fully understand how to actually approach it mm -hmm. based on Jasmine's behavior she needs individual therapy and then they also need therapy together to learn how to communicate because they don't communicate well she doesn't communicate well he doesn't communicate well it's it's difficult to watch her say all this knowing full well that 
as you said, it's just going to perpetuate the cycle. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that because I do think that their love is real, that they're actually going to push through this and try to make this work because I think that they do genuinely love each other. So I think it's going to be an explosive relationship. I don't think that they're ever going to get to a healthy spot without a therapeutic intervention, but I, I think that they're actually going to stick it out and make it work. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I have no idea. But one thing that I did notice is that Jasmine gave up a lot in this little scene. She gave up her demand that she has to be number one in his life. Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't, I don't need to be number one in your life. That's okay. She gave, she gave up the notion that she has to have the most luxurious, expensive apartment there is in Panama. Because she's going from a $3,000 apartment to a $1,000 apartment. She brings out the ring that Gino gave her when they first got engaged that she pretended to have lost and lied about it. And mm-hmm. she promised to change. So that's a lot on her part. And Gino says nothing. He, I mean, he does say something. He says, we'll work on it together. But that's, that's like nebulous. That can mean anything. And it's not a specific promise, right? I right. feel she does have enough self-awareness within her and maturity to realize, okay, I've got these flaws and I need to fix them. And so she's letting go of the stuff that she knows is problematic for Gino. But he's not actually giving or doing anything substantive to or for her. He just says, I, I think I, maybe emotionally he's not, but he's providing her that stability that I think she's really been scrambling for. I think her mm-hmm. not knowing what's going to happen next and her being so insecure, especially about um, Gino's previous indiscretions with the sugar babies and yeah, and all that from before, uh, I think him just providing her with a stable place to live for six months, giving her money to pay for it, leaving her money on the nightstand so she has cash. I think that's his way of showing her that he's putting an effort because he could have just pulled the plug on on the finances a while ago and didn't. So yeah, I think possible for her financially because he's the cause of her having lost his job her job. What was her job before? She was a teacher. And because of those photos that she shared with him privately and that he posted and went public and went everywhere, she lost her job. Right. So that's his fault. Um, Which I don't think that he's ever apologized for. But anyway, I just, I noted that in the, in their discussion at the, at the end that she was actually showing gratitude um, and it, I think that they actually came to a good compromise and it showed that they do appreciate each other. So I think that there has been some growth, but again, almost infinitesimal at this point. Yeah. So they, they have their airport goodbye. Uh, Jasmine squeezes up some tears. Doesn't seem real to me, but again, I hadn't considered the Botox angle and, um, and off he goes. We're just going to wait and find out what happens there. But of course, we know from the preview of the next season of 
of 90 Day Fiance, the OG series that they're together in the States. Okay, let's keep going. Statler and Dempsey. So these two, we, we open up to a scene of them playing castle in their castle. And then they go off to Edinburgh for some birthday activities to celebrate Dempsey. And Dempsey actually talks about how she's, she's so, feeling so good about the relationship at this point that she's actually considering Statler's proposal that she move in with her for real. She's actually considering this, which is wild. I think it's a fleeting moment. Probably, because as they're driving, the topic of kids comes up and you can almost hear the screeching sound of the tires when Statler says she doesn't know if she wants kids because it's clear that Dempsey really, really wants to have kids someday. Mm -hmm. And my God, would make such a great mom. She's just such a sweet person. So I agree. Now we hear from Dempsey that they had talked about it before. Remember, we were speculating last week that perhaps they hadn't even discussed it, which would be wild. But mm-hmm. they, they had talked about it before, she said, and she remembers that Statler mentioned being open to the idea of having kids. So, And then Statler also said that Dempsey wasn't quite sure if she wanted to do it or not. Right. I, we can only believe one person in this case because they're both saying <laughs> the opposite. Um, anyway, leave it to you to figure out where you want to go on that. But, uh, Dempsey is very tactful in this moment. And instead of pressing the issue and going further and potentially ruining the rest of their day, she drops it. And then they go into Edinburgh, they start, uh, they, they have a great time there and then they go back to the castle. And, uh, the last scene that we have of them is at breakfast the next day when it blows up and yeah Dempsey wants to talk about the elephant in the room which is their future and Statler's reaction is wow so cold slightly judgmental so firm so like she's really got this sense that I do not want to have kids and I do not want to adopt a kid which just shocked me because given that she is adopted, wouldn't that make you more likely to want to adopt a child because your natural instinct is to help somebody who's going through the same situation that you went through? But instead, it shows how incredibly selfish she is that she says, oh, it takes takes too much of an emotional toll. I can't do it. I was really, really struck by this scene. It was, I don't know if it was part to do with her autism and something had just kind of switched off in her, but she just completely lost all that, that sympathetic and empathetic connection to Dempsey. It's it's as if she couldn't read any of Dempsey's emotions. I think it's because she's so stuck on the fact that she is just scrambling to find someone to love her and by having kids obviously that's going to take the attention away from her and that's not what she wants so that's why she shut that down so quickly but the adoption angle I can't I can't grasp that at all I think she's just making excuses so she doesn't have to actually have a real conversation about it she just wants to make it all about her and her experience not think about what Dempsey wants but 
she just wants to blow it up, make sure it doesn't happen, and then hope that Dempsey's going to get over it. But she really dug her heels in on that one, which I was kind of surprised in. I thought she would have folded just to keep Dempsey, but... Absolutely. When Dempsey... Here we... So if I really, really wanted a child and I had to have one, what would happen to us? And then Styler says, we wouldn't make it. We wouldn't be together. It's like, what? You can't even just give her a little bit of, well, you know, I'm, I feel this way about it and I'm really sorry, but just none of that. Just, oh, well, we wouldn't be together. We wouldn't make it. So cold, sharp edged. I didn't like that. You know what I noticed is when they first left the castle and they were off on their adventure, there was a point when Dempsey made a comment, oh, about how the castle thing was so amazing and that, you know, it was all it was all on Statler. Did you catch the way that she looked at Dempsey at that point? No, I didn't. She like stared at her, her eyes narrowed. It was, it was so creepy. Like there wasn't love in her eyes. I caught what I think is possession, which I think is quite obvious during their conversation about having kids because she doesn't want to share Dempsey with anyone. She wants to possess her. She wants her to be yeah. hers. And I believe she said in in one of the cutaways that she just wanted to be enough for Dempsey. So the suggestion of kids makes her already feel like she's been rejected. So yeah. I think that's why she's digging her heels in. Because it's easier for her to to put a stop to it before Dempsey can push it even further. And then she's like, well, no, it's not going to work anyway. This is my decision. You're not rejecting me. I'm rejecting you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, the last part is that we see Dempsey going off sort of bravely saying, Oh, I'm just going to go pack time to pack up. And then the producer follows her and it's trying to get Dempsey to talk. And Dempsey is obviously in a highly emotional state, but she's trying to mm -hmm. hold it together. So she's not looking at the camera. She's not looking at the producer. She's just doing whatever she needs to do to pack. And she's obviously so, so upset. Yeah, I really feel for her. I think that this trip has really opened her eyes to the kind of toxicity that Statler brings to the table. But I'm really proud of her for standing up for herself and maintaining that non-negotiable. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I I think if she was this hell-bent on having a kid before, that should have been part of the conversation. And I wonder if Statler is creating her own, another one, creating her own narrative just to make it seem as though it wasn't her that flipped. It was Dempsey. But I would believe Dempsey over Statler any day. Agreed. Shall we move on to David and Sheila? Yes, I don't really have much to say about them because they're just so genuine and authentic but I am learning some interesting and fun sign language and um, good for them I say with the uh, the sex positions and the explosions that yeah, made that me laugh quite heartily I love the way he said 
I like the bed and all the sex we had on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he must have gotten some great sleep, too. So it wasn't all about the sex. <laughs> anyway, they, they go back to see Sheila's dad and her son. And they want to announce their happy news that they're engaged. And thankfully, the family seems to be very pleased that these two have gotten engaged, including Jean Riel. So that is really fantastic. And then they ask the bigger question of Jean Riel, which is, would you move to the States? And he says, yes, he would be happy to. He's excited about it. So all that stuff we saw before was probably just a, a red herring, right? They just placed it perfectly for us so that we would think that he wasn't all that interested, but he might have been saying no to another question. Who knows? Oh, entirely possible. But I, I, I think that it's sweet that the the kid is so excited to go. But I feel so bad for her dad because he's going to be left alone. Mm-hmm. He just lost his wife, and now he's going to lose his daughter and his grandkid. Obviously, it's for a better life, so he's going to fully support it. But I just feel so bad with him being left alone in the house. Like, are they going to fix up the house before before they leave? Obviously, David acknowledges that it's going to be a long and expensive process, which I think is quite relevant. But he, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I feel so bad for her dad being left alone. Like, when they go over, are they going to try to get him to come too? I can see him refusing. Yeah, that's possible. I don't know. Uh, we, we know so very little about the dad. It's hard to speculate as to how he would feel about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't know. Um, but we see more realness and rawness from these these two when they go to the airport and they're both crying. Um, David promises to come back in a year which I'm assuming is about midway through the, the visa application process, because I think it takes about two years. Um, and then I was thinking, wow, how much money does he have to save to pay for the K-1 visa, to take another trip back to the Philippines, to cover the costs of the house being fixed, which he promised to do, um, and then bringing both Sheila and John Rill to the U.S., and he would more than likely have to get an, a bigger apartment. And he has two jobs that are basically minimum wage type jobs. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this guy. He is really in love. I think he's going to move mountains to make sure that it happens. Yeah. And, and that's just what it's so touching about these two. Like when she, when he was on the other side of the glass, he'd gone through security and she was on the our side of the glass and she's saying to him please come back to me oh that just killed me oh the noise that he made when he was crying oh. uh, that just that took me right out I know. it was for a mute deaf man to make noise is one thing but for it to be that kind of like raw heartbreak where he's so sad to leave her it was just it was such a true and genuine emotion. Like I really felt that in, in my heart, it was, it, their love is completely palpable and I really believe in them. I do too. I'm really happy that they're on the show because they're totally balancing out the, the fake couples such as Christian and Cleo. 
So there's only a couple of days left for them as well. And we meet them choosing donuts in the streets of London and then sitting down, well, not really sitting, it's like half sitting, half standing for a chat. And when they bought the donuts, did you catch Christian doing his beep boop, ridiculous noises when he's paying with his credit card? Yeah, I figured that was to make the the saleswoman Yeah, looking up at the donut lady with a little side smirk, like, how cute Mm -hmm. am I? Oh my God, like, can you just stop for two seconds? You're with your girl. He can't. Mm. And it's so obvious that he can't. But before we jump into actually dissecting their conversation, the highlight of everything that has to do with these two in this episode comes down to the fact that that donut place had not only a Nutella donut, but a Bueno donut. Yes, let's give thanks for the donuts that we saw on this show. It made me really crave a donut. Oh, yeah, I know. The one with the marshmallow on top. Wow. No, no. Give me that Bueno one. The Bueno and Nutella any day. Nutella for sure. Did they buy one of the Nutella ones? They did not. They got like one of those Homer Simpson ones. They got the marshmallow one. They got a cinnamon sugar one. And I forget what the last one was, but they got four. You take good notes. (laughs) It's just the donuts. As soon as I saw the Nutella, I was like, I'm paying attention now. And then (laughs) when I saw the Bueno, I was like, oh. I, I need to eat one of those donuts. So I feel like my my obsession over like looking at the donuts over their shoulder and thinking about the donuts that they didn't get and the missed opportunities that I think that occupied my mind more than actually analyzing these two because they're just so incompatible. And the discussion about being exclusive and he's like, oh, I don't understand. Why wouldn't you trust me? And like, you're just, blatantly flirting with people in front of her yeah come on what what i noticed is that she she sets a boundary very very clearly she does not want christian doing his chatting up single woman in bars which is a perfectly reasonable and rational thing to want from your boyfriend though her speech was very non-committal did you notice that yeah, she was tr- she was really skirting around the issue, trying not to be forceful because she knows with him that if she tries to set a firm boundary, that's very um, in a in a kind of offensive way that he's just going to completely run wild and attack her back. That could also just be part of her insecurities, though. She doesn't want to cause any conflict, so instead of creating those hard boundaries it's more of a boundary suggestion and hope i think she's had enough experience of christian's reactions thus far to know that she can't even ask him a direct question like please will you stop doing this it really affects me and i don't appreciate it it hurts me so she does set the boundary as softly as she does and then he immediately defend 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 every time he he could have just taken in cleo's request and accepted it for what it is something that's important to her in order to feel secure in their relationship and then Mm -hmm. acknowledge to her that's something i can work on for her for their relationship but instead 
he dives right back into, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I don't have anything to feel guilty about, et cetera, et cetera. And then he doubles down and says that her feelings make him feel unsettled, more deflection, denial, and blame. And mm -hmm. he doesn't want to feel held down. Well, why the hell are you there then? What and is yet they've been talking about being exclusive and he makes that comment of, you know, I'm with you. Like when I'm with you, I'm with you. And I'm like, well, that, it, well, isn't that poignant? Because even when you are with her, you're still flirting with other women, picking up mm -hmm. other women, like mm -hmm. meeting women at bars. He's, he seems to be trying to pull that, trying to be sweet, but it just comes off as just so skeevy. It is totally. He, yuck. I mean, if, if your partner comes to you and says, there's something about the way that you're behaving towards other people that makes me feel insecure, then you would listen. You make adjustments. You try to make them feel better. Try to make them feel more secure. But Christian, he just stands firm and he says, he's right. He's blameless. And Cleo can go deal with her own trust issues because it's her problem. He's a knucklehead. I really am beyond frustrated with, with him and watching this relationship. I sincerely hope that in next week's episode, they are done. Well, she says that she doesn't want to lose him. But as we said in the last episode, that would obviously be the best thing for her. So I'm really hoping that they don't get back together after this. Because I think it's just going to be absolutely awful for her mental health and self-esteem. Yeah. Totally. She's, wow. I mean, she's already insecure. And then to have to go through a relationship like this, where the man is placing all of his guilt on you and blaming you and shaming you. Wow. That's, that's not easy to do. I have a lot of compassion for her. So we've only got one couple left and we've left them to the last on purpose, right? Yes. And Violet. And when we meet these two, it is their last night, well, Riley's last night in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, and they're walking in the rain. So he says to Violet, Are you sad that I'm leaving? And her answer, oh, <laughs> beautiful, love it, classic, hmm. That's her answer. Hmm. I love it. During that conversation, though, I wanted to ask, is it actually a thing, or am I nitpicking? Riley compliments her, saying she looks beautiful or whatever his compliment was, and she thanked him. And then he said, you're welcome. Uh, I don't know what the question is. Is that a thing to say you're welcome when you compliment someone and they thank you? I feel like it just seems like he is, he only gave the compliment so that she could be appreciative and then he got what he wanted. So, oh yeah, mm -hmm. you're welcome. I, I gave you what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. For Riley, I can see that. I did not like that at all. If I say thank you for a compliment, I don't expect you to respond. So Violet saying, hmm, 
in answer to the question of whether she's sad or not that Riley is leaving, uh, it's hilarious in of itself. But the truth for me is that the whole trip has been sad. Everything is about this, these two is sad and messy. They can't communicate to save their lives. Um, Violet sometimes communicates pretty well, actually, usually when it's, she's been hurt. Um, she, she tells him that she's been hurt. She doesn't know how she feels towards him. And she wants to wait and see how things go, which for me is one of those kind of wishy-washy ways of saying, I don't really want to be in a relationship with you, but I don't feel like breaking up with you right now. So I'm just going to leave it in this no man's land, undefined zone of let's see how things go. And I think that's very conservative, conservative of her, though, during this meeting, I think this is the first time since he arrived where she didn't look completely and utterly miserable. She actually kind of looked like she was enjoying herself. And I think that that was a glimpse into what their relationship could have actually been like before. Yeah, they actually hold hands across the table when they're having their dream and drink. And she I was laughing. Yeah. And then they hugged afterwards. It was... It was very different from what we've been seeing so far. Very, very strange and unexpected, but it was nice to see her enjoy her resolve, especially because Riley is leaving. So whether or not they stay together, at least she did have a, at least one good night out of three weeks with him. <laughs> what a low bar. <laughs> so the next is that it's his last day. He's in his hotel room. Violet offered to help him pack. So she's there. And we learn from Riley that Violet can't go to the airport with him to say goodbye because she has a family obligation, at which point I raised my eyebrows because I was like, seriously, there's something that important going on that you can't take this man to the airport? Oh, it's been scheduled for eons. She couldn't possibly reschedule the family thing to get him to the airport. It's just the easiest way to ditch him. Wow. So um, we get this really awkward scene where Riley is trying to get Violet to say something in particular about how she feels about him, but she's not playing his game at all. Kudos to her. And then he attempts to say, I love you in this pathetic, pathetic display where like, what is so freaking hard about saying the word love? Like, I understand you've been hurt before, but we've all been hurt before. This is part of the human experience and you get over it and you show compassion and respect for the, and affection for the next person that you're in a relationship with by saying, I love you, but he can't do it. But Violet's reaction though is priceless. No, no, don't tell. We need time. It's so abrupt, but she's being honest. Don't tell. Don't say the words. She doesn't want to hear it. No, I don't. I don't think she does. And she... I thought it was funny because in in the cutaway, Riley is saying, you know, if she can't even hear the word, you know, pushing it onto onto Violet because it's 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 her issue. She just she can't accept the fact that I love her. And no, you didn't even say it. So she can't put. She can't pick up what you're putting down because you're not putting anything down at all. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so awkward. It's so stiff. 
Um, it's just really, really uncomfortable. Uh, you're given the impression that these two have not really had enough time to get to know one another. They haven't really experimented with spending enough time together with trying to become closer to one another. And then when they actually go out in the street to say goodbye, she's got her arms crossed across her chest, very defensively, like, don't come near me, don't touch me, certainly do not kiss me, but he does, mm -hmm. even though she tries a couple of times to get away from it. Um, but he did get her on the lips. Did you see that? Yes, I did. I watched it again and I slowed it down so that I could see what was happening. And with the camera from the back of her head, it's hard to see. But yes, it does look like he kissed her on the lips. Finally, that was the most amount of intimacy that we've seen between the two of them this right. entire season. So now we get to the major bomb. The preview for next week suggests uh, well, maybe not even suggests, but blatantly says out loud from the top of a mountain, Violet is pregnant and is having... From the top of a mountain. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Took a second for that to hit me. Anyway, continue. <laughs> so what is the heck is this about? I, I don't know. The fact that he says, Violet told me she's pregnant and it's mine and he taps his chest makes me feel like he's quite proud of it, even though it may not have been a thing. We don't know if they actually had sex. And up until that, that dinner that they had earlier on in the episode, I thought there was absolutely no way. But based on how much they enjoyed each other at that dinner, I thought it's entirely possible. I was thinking, also thinking that perhaps it was another one of those producer-created um, situations where it's edited, so it looks like they say that Violet's pregnant, but she's actually not. But that one clip of Riley is one singular clip, so there's no way that they could have spliced that all together because it's one continuous shot. So I'm not quite sure what we're in for next week, but I really hope that she's not pregnant because yeah, I think that would be the most puzzling and shocking 90 day revelation ever, because we do not get any indication at all while they're together that they're becoming intimate to the point where they would actually engage in sexual activity. It just seems so completely impossible from the way that they fought together, how closed off Violet was, uh, the amount of time that they were actually in each other's presence, and how stiff they were. And the fact that the kiss at the end when he's going off to the airport is the only one we saw. So where does this all come from? And like you said, does it mean that they didn't have sex? Well, how can she possibly make that allegation that it's his child if that was the case? Because then he'd just say to her, what are you talking about? We never slept together. This is not possible. Please go find the real father. Plus the fact that she's 43-ish. I think we're saying that everybody's 43 when we talk about what age the women are. I think you're Regardless, right. If she's around <laughs> 43, her chances of becoming pregnant are very, 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 very small. And so how in the course of three weeks that he's there on earth, could they actually have hit the button on the note, the nose on the button, whatever the expression is. 
You know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying, but now I can't think about what the the actual term is. <laughs> How could they actually have succeeded, have done it enough times to not and have us not see anything at all? I mean, we get we get so up close and personal and intimate with the other couples. How is this one been completely shielded from us? I wonder if it happened. I'm convinced that drinks were involved mm-hmm. and it had to have happened within like the first couple days of him being there for her to already know that she's late and to have taken a pregnancy test. But how is that even enough time for those, like even the new age pregnancy tests, is that enough time for them to be able to pick up on whether or not an egg's been fertilized? Yeah, I think you can take them a, a couple of weeks after you miss your period, but still, the middle of her, yeah, the math doesn't really work here. It It's questionable. It's possible, it's but possible, very but questionable. Extremely remote possibility. So we'll see next week how this all unfolds, whether it was a miscommunication, a producer creation, uh, an actual fact, which seems the least likely option, or some other, I don't know, alien invasion. Who knows? Maybe it's someone else's and she wants to put Riley through the ringer one last time to give him. Yeah. Oh, because he was so awful to her when she was there. Just seems like just strange timing and their relationship doesn't equate to this being even a remote possibility. So I don't, I don't think it's true, though I also am not sure what Violet's angle could be. I don't know either. Lying about it, because obviously she's not trying to trap him. She couldn't get rid of him fast enough. Nope. So I don't think that's the angle, but what it is, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. This puzzle, I hope, will be resolved and shown to us next week, because I don't think I can wait any longer than that to find out what's going on no i think it's disappointing that we only get one episode a week (laughs) let's campaign for more episodes a week it's not enough that we don't that we have before the 90 days 90 day uk um their last resort and uh the other way all playing at the same time that's four amy four weeks did you mention uk because that's it okay Anyway, that's that's all of the couples. So that concludes the normal portion of our show. And now, Amy, what special treat do you have to reveal to us this week? So my my sources have create or made some suggestions that were very questionable, um, but also kind of exciting. So I have heard through the grapevine that Violet was seen in New York City. For the tell-all? For the tell-all? It could be for the tell-all. Because they do record that in NYC. They do, but Uh most of the couples, the ones from, from the other way, typically call in. So she she could or she had to have gotten a visa to get here Ooh. if she was attending the tell-all. 
but is it just for the tell-all or is she here for other other reasons yeah did anybody notice a baby bump nobody mentioned a baby bump but this is however long when did they stop recording oh that's a good point so she probably would have had the baby by now if she got pregnant and you'd figure that the tell-all already would have been recorded though i'm not sure of the timeline of of the recording and producing before they actually release it but i thought that was very curious that yeah all i know is that the last time somebody got pregnant during the filming of a 90 day series and they when they went to the um the tell-all they'd already had their baby and i can't remember who that was for the life of me but i know she had black hair okay so okay juicy tidbit thank you very much for the goss um Mm -hmm. i think that's about it for this week unless we have any other comments that need to be made before we go i don't think so no i think my only other comment was how awkward it was when uh jasmine was telling gino how much she loved him and his response was in his weird voice and tone was just Oh, he's he did that two or three times in the episode, and every time I could not stop laughing. <laughs> just just the way that he says it is so it's so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't know how to accept what she's saying, or he doesn't know what to say, so he just comes out with that, and again with his tone and just his mannerisms just him being gino oh i I couldn't help it i couldn't help it and the um the look of sheer joy on jasmine's face when gino said that the money on the bedside table was hers and she jumps on the bed to grab it was so childlike (laughs) which makes me think that she's emotionally stunted and yet, leaving money on the bedside table, is that not a quintessential action of somebody who's just paid for a prostitute? I mean, isn't that the, um, isn't that kind of the, the, the classic symbol? <laughs> you leave the it money. Is, it is, but I'm pretty sure he only left her about 60 bucks. So I'm not entirely sure what he's yeah. paying for. Oh. Yeah, it was just, I just found that funny for, for that reason. When she was going across the bed to get the money on the bedside table, I was like, was that for last night? <laughs> or this morning? Like, oh, whatever. It doesn't seem like that's enough, but no. <laughs> it was it was enough to make her happy in addition to the $1,000 that he sent her for rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's happy. Her bills are paid for. Her and Gino are apparently in a better place. So she's happy, but just the look of sheer joy on her face also made me laugh. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would be that excited if a man left me $60 on my bedside table. Hmm. Interesting. Has to be more. But why you why leave money? <laughs> just, if you're going to give me money, you know, just give me yeah because he's had sugar babies before so he knows what that's like and maybe that's maybe he's just such a weird dude that that's his love language 
is the the gift giving and that's what makes her no. happy because that makes no. not no gift- you don't think so give her a toothbrush remember remember the toothbrush that was his big gift that he brought from the united states of america that's he- also didn't she throw that across the room when they were yeah. fighting that one day too yes and then there was that that sad camera shot of the toothbrush on the floor yes, yes. very poignant i bet you she loves that toothbrush <laughs> she cherishes it as much if not more than the engagement ring that she pretended to lose and not wear for over a year oh yeah i don't get the line mm-hmm Okay, well, if that's it, then thank you very much for listening, everyone. And please tune in again next week when we'll be talking about episode 16, which we fully anticipate is going to be the last episode of the season of Before the 90 Days before we get to the towels. Thank you. It's going to be a good one. I hope so. And see you next week. Bye.